It's a privilege this morning to welcome Reverend John Stetson to our pulpit, and he's going to come at this time and bring our morning message. Thank you. You know, it's really nice to be able to, uh, like, like uh, Pastor Dan, I was involved in music uh, in the church I was in, and it's a lot to, to get up and, and get into the music and, and be moving the service forward and then stop and do the message and, and not really have a lot of time to collect yourself. So it's really a, a joy for me to be able to sit and collect myself and, and uh, join you all in worship uh, prior to standing up here. And I was thinking when Pastor Dan asked me to do this, that Christmas is not just a day, it's a season. It's a season that follows the season of Advent. And we are now in the ninth day of Christmas, of the 12 days of Christmas, uh, that will end on Wednesday. And this Thursday, we celebrate the Epiphany. And Epiphany is a Greek word that just means appearance or manifestation. And this Epiphany we celebrate celebrates the appearance of the star and the wise men from the east. So I thought it would be a, an interesting idea, at the very least, to revisit the birth narrative uh, as in Matthew, from Matthew, which um, relates that story for us. <clears throat> and as I was preparing for this message, this movie from years ago kept popping into my head. It was a movie called Crash from 2004. And and this movie uh, unveils for us the lives of, of several people, um, people from disparate or dissimilar backgrounds, people from different cultural, racial, ethnic and backgrounds and social classes. And, and, and what we see are, are, are lives that would generally not intersect in any meaningful way become inextricably intertwined over a series or through a series of, of, of events as they unfold. The focus of the story is on their experiences, is on their choices, and the consequences of those choices. And as I watched it, I remember years ago watching it in the, in the movie theater, and, and as I was re-watching it just to refresh my memory, it, it also causes me to consider the choices I make, the consequences of those choices, and honestly to be grateful for the forgiveness and grace of our loving God. Matthew's birth narrative also considers several dissimilar people or groups of people, and, and, and the choices they make, and we're left to consider the consequences of their choices and perhaps of our own choices and consequences. Matthew 2 begins like this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So here we meet the main participants. We meet Jesus. Let's look at each one of them. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, which tells us where and when he was born. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in Micah's Bethlehem Ephratha or Ephratha, which differentiates it from Bethlehem uh, of Zebulon, which is way up in, the, in Galilee, not far from Nazareth. And he was born uh, in the, during the days of Herod the king, uh, the, the consensus seems to be that Herod died around 4 BC, so sometime 
before the death of Herod, this takes place. And now we know from the angel's visit to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus is special. He's from the Holy Spirit and he will save his people from their sins. And that's pretty much what we know at this point in Matthew's gospel. Herod was the king of Judea and expanded that authority over time under the Roman authority. He was not a king where he could do whatever he wanted. He could do whatever he wanted as long as Rome wasn't upset. So that was him. Uh, He's known for several things, his ambitious building programs. He renovated the second temple and made it grander and bigger and more beautiful. Uh, I think there's a statement uh, from rabbis or whatever from that day who said, if you've never seen this temple, you've never seen beauty. It was apparently a very grand and wonderful place. He's also noted for being an astute and wily politician. That's how he got to be king, and that's how he got more and more authority as he went along. And and later in his life, he was noted for dealing violently with anyone hostile to his rule, including his own sons, his own family, uh, to their detriment, I guess. The wise men, we don't know much about them. They're probably astrologers, astronomers from the east, possibly Persia, possibly Mesopotamia. And and in the ancient world, the study of the relative movement and placement of the heavenly bodies, the stars and the planets, uh, which we would call astronomy, and the, the meaning, the significance of those movements and placements, which we call astrology, were interwoven. They were basically one area of study. And and people who uh, practiced those arts often also interpreted dreams and signs as well. And on the other hand, those who who, uh, found meaning in signs and dreams and the like, instead of seeking God's wisdom, were considered by Jewish orthodoxy to be idolaters. Yet we know throughout Scripture that finding meaning in the stars and dreams and signs was far from unusual and at times was directly from God. And here it seems the sign of this star is from holy God. What I find interesting as I, as I begin this, this, this passage is the stars to lead them to the child, the king. But it drops them off in Jerusalem. So why Why does this star drop these wise men off in Jerusalem instead of taking them right to Bethlehem? It's a question that always occurs to me as I read that. And apparently the star has stopped leading them. So in Jerusalem they ask, where can we find he who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. We have come to worship him. But we don't know exactly where he is. So can you help us out? Note what the Magi did not say, and I think this is important. What they did not say is, he who will become king of the Jews. But as we sing in in the Christmas hymn, Silent Night, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. In other words, Jesus already is, at his birth, the king of the Jews, as well as son of God. So these wise men begin asking questions, and when Herod the king 
heard this because he had his agents and spies running all over society because he was a bit paranoid. When he heard this, he was troubled because if there was indeed one who people believed has been born king of the Jews, his position as king of Judea might be on shaky ground. Herod was not himself a Jew. He was an Edomian uh, from Edom, you know, the, the, uh, traditionally the descendants of Esau. So he was not a Jew. He had not gained his title through inheritance, through, through lineage, through acclamation of the people, but through an act of the Roman Senate. If there was a child believed to be the Messiah King, the Jews might do whatever it took to seek to replace this paranoid, crazy, violent man with his child. So Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. If you've ever been in a situation where uh, someone has had authority over you, I've had this in the business world, and, and the person was a little out there. When that person was troubled, it would be good for you to be troubled too. And the people of Jerusalem were troubled with him. Herod was troubled. He needed to get control of the situation, so he gathers all his chief priests and scribes, the scholars and the theologians, if you will, and asks them, where is this child to be born? The theologians refer to the, to the prophet Micah that this messianic king was to come from Bethlehem of Judea, Bethlehem of Ratha. So Herod now knows where this child was to be born, but he doesn't know yet where, when. And this where also increases his paranoia because what? This child was born in the same town where David, the king, was born. And all the prophecies note that the messianic king, the Messiah, will come from the line of David and sit on the throne of David. So obviously if Caesar, if, if we refer back to Luke, said Caesar moved everybody to their hometown for his census, Jesus is in the hometown of David. This is probably making Herod even more nervous. So, Herod secretly arranges to meet with the Magi to find out when the star first appeared. Knowing both where and when now, Herod sends the Magi to Bethlehem. He says, go search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I too can come and worship him. Another interesting thing that, that, that always shakes me up with this, Bethlehem is only five miles from downtown Jerusalem. Right? So if, if you walk at a leisurely three miles an hour, you can get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem in about an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes. So if you got up, finished breakfast around seven, walked to, to, to Bethlehem, investigated this child, and walked back, you could probably be back for lunch. Herod could easily have sent his own guys, who probably walked faster than three miles an hour, to, to scope out the situation, or even God himself, but he doesn't. He does nothing. And I always wonder, why? And thankfully, i got time to re reflect on this. It seems that, at least to me, it seems that Herod's problem is that if he shows an interest in the birth of this common child, born to a common family in a little town of Bethlehem, the people of J Jerusalem, especially the movers and shakers, will say, 
Why is he so interested in the birth of this common child to a common family in the middle of this little town? What does Herod know about this child that he doesn't want us to know? And when they find out, which people always find out this stuff, they might wonder if this is a descendant of David, maybe we'd be better off with him as king than Herod. So Herod was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. The religious leaders, the priests, the scribes, those who you would think would be really interested in the possibility of a king of the Jews being born five miles from downtown Jerusalem, also did nothing. They were probably concerned that if they show any interest, they're going to increase Herod's violent and paranoid tendencies. And so they did nothing. Anyway, they probably thought, we only have the word of these foreign astrologers. Mm. And they don't even know where this happened. The men of the, from the east, seemingly unaware of the angst in Jerusalem, head to Bethlehem, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Go back to that question. Why stop in Jerusalem and stir up all this stuff instead of going right to Bethlehem, right? Why stir up Herod? Why risk the violence and the paranoia? But back to the story, when the Magi saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. I I love that statement. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They weren't just happy. They weren't just delighted. They didn't just rejoice. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Do you remember when you first encountered Jesus? When he first came into your life? Did you rejoice exceedingly with great joy? How about Christmas morning this year? Was it such exceedingly great joy? How did you feel when you got yourself ready for worship this morning? Sometimes we need to go back and grab on to that exceeding great joy. And think about it this way. Herod is troubled at the birth of this child. The political, religious leaders of Jerusalem are troubled at the birth of this child. Yet these foreign astrologers rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, valuable, valuable gifts. And if this were a movie, you can can imagine the orchestra approaching a crescendo as as the the gifts are presented, and, and we might think, oh, this is a perfect way to end this story. But it doesn't end here. The Magi are warned in a dream not to return to Herod, departed to their own country by another way. Joseph is warned in a dream, flee to Egypt, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Herod sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, two years old and under. This is not the idyllic ending we would hope for, but this is the ending we are given. So let's take a step back. And and look again at Matthew's birth narrative in context, as as Pastor Dan was talking about last week, in the context, context of the nature of God, the nature of God's creation, 
and, and the nature of, of God's plan to reconcile, to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. God's great plan of reconciliation is at a most crucial point. It may not be the most crucial point, but is a most crucial point. God's plan put in place before the foundation of the world awaits the fullness of time, and the time is now full. Central to this plan is a young child, not even two years old, who is born son of God and king of the Jews, but is not yet in any position to defend those titles. So God, in his infinite wisdom, chooses to entrust this child at this crucial moment to two human beings who are not wealthy, who are not powerful, who do not have any connections. What they do have is the faith to go where God tells them to go and do what God tells them to do, as Abraham did 2,000 years before. God has given a sign, a revelation to these wise men from the east. And they have pursued this sign, traveling a significant distance, spending a lot of time and and putting out uh, their resources for valuable, valuable gifts, treasures for this child. These wise men from the east are also people of deep faith. And it is worth noting that the gifts that they were given, if you reflect back to the, the dream to Joseph, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you to come back. Maybe these gifts were the resources the family needed in order to leave Bethlehem and spend a significant amount of time in Egypt. And God's involved here, even though he may not look like it on the outside. These magi, as the star stopped leading Jerusalem, shared the good news of this child born king of the Jews in the political and religious capital of Judea, in Jerusalem. Well, wait a minute. Maybe there is a reason why God had them go to Jerusalem before going to Bethlehem. And as Herod found out, this child-born king of the Jews is only hop, skip, and a jump down the road. Perhaps God's intention in leading the wise men to Jerusalem before sending them to Bethlehem was this. The word was out in Jerusalem, in the capital, that there is a child born king of the Jews in Bethlehem. The word is out, and now Herod, the scholars, the theologians, all the people of Jerusalem, like the Magi, like Mary, like Joseph, like you and I, must choose what to do with that news, with that revelation. Here's the thing. We must choose. God has given us free will. The free will to make moral and ethical choices, that is part of our essential nature, part of what makes us human. And being human, we cannot opt out. We must choose, even if it's by not making a choice, even if it's passively. Mary and Joseph chose, despite the difficulties they knew they would face, to participate in God's plan. Well, Mary, I I know you're a young woman and and you're betrothed, but you're not really married yet. So you're going to be with child and there's going to be problems. Arrangements have been made for the wedding and and, and assets have been transferred and and all that's gone on. Uh, 
but will you still do what I'm calling you to do? Joseph, you're a young man and, and, and you're, mar- you're engaged to this woman, betrothed to this woman, you're not yet married. She's with child and you know it's not yours. What are you going to do with that? As Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And that's their faith. Great, deep faith. The wise men from the east saw the star, discerned what it meant, and despite the cost and effort, said, yes, Lord, we will follow where you lead us. Herod chose to reject the sovereignty of God and declare again and again and again that he, Herod, was sovereign, the true king, and he would do what he wanted, when he wanted, where he wanted, and how he wanted. It's all about Herod. For the people of Jerusalem, it was more prudent to keep Herod happy than to chase after a child who may or may not be who these Easterners thought he was. I mean, if it were today, they'd want a DNA sample just to double-check everything. And what about you and me? Because we, too, must choose. And the choices are, on one hand, the kingdom of God, the kingdom in which God is sovereign over all creation. And on the other hand, you have the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms that, that reject the sovereignty of God, deeming themselves as sovereign, choosing whatever benefits them and rejecting anything that does not enhance their wealth, their authority, their privilege, and their agenda. And this is a, a dichotomy. This is a, 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 a comparison, if you will. Two options that are held throughout the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Paul in talking about the, the spirit and the flesh. This is our choice. A choice we have to make. To be human is to be faced with that choice each day. And we each must make that choice, either actively or passively. I think the choice is laid out very clearly at the end of Joshua, the book of Joshua. And so I'm going to close with this. When Israel had finally uh, occupied the land of, 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 of God's promise, and Joshua was an old man, and he was leaving them, like, like uh, Moses did in Deuteronomy, leaving them with a final challenge. He said this, and I'm going to quote, Fear the Lord God and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And Joshua continued with this, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will... That's our choice. Who will we serve? Which kingdom? Which god? Which king? The gods of this world that reject the sovereignty of Yahweh God are not all that different in Joshua's day or Jesus' day than they are today. Personal wealth, personal privilege, personal power, personal agendas, and so forth. It's all about me. I'm my own God. There is no God other than me. Not in my life. But like Mary, like Joseph, like Herod, like the wise men from the east, and like the people of Jerusalem, we must choose this day, each day, 
whom we will serve. Our choice carries consequences for good or not so good. As this Christmas season draws to a close, let's not forget the good news of the one born King of the Jews, God's gift, God's revealed truth, is out there before us. Since, it's, since it is out there, since he is out there, we have an unavoidable choice for us. Each day we must choose whether we will serve God of creation or the kingdoms of the world who reject that God of creation. It is on us to rejoice exceedingly with great joy at the birth of this one born Son of God and King of the Jews, to bow down and worship this King, to give, as did the wise men from the East, from our time, our talents, and our treasure, to the work of God's kingdom for the glory of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Merry Christmas. Lord God, thank you for this, your word. Uh, bless it, make it yours as it travels from here to all of us. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, John, for those words this morning. Amen. And now may the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, guide you step by step into this new year, that each day your lives would bring glory to him. Through the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.